Wait, I should be holding my my phone. Okay. Hello. That's Sarah. And that's Emily. And this is Light Cry. Cheers, 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 and cheers to, to you, and to you, and to you, to you, to you, to you. Have you seen that um, that video of that guy in his bathroom with the like mirror that's on like the two sides and in front of him, and he's cheersing oh, all of oh my the, gosh. the himself? Um, no, you need to send me that because I have not seen it. I'll send it to you. That's amazing, and I'll put it on our Instagram too because it's hilarious. That's the best. Um, M, um, describe what are we drinking. We are drinking vodka tonics. Classic. AKA. Dependable. Clear. Liquid. <laughs> Clear. Liquid. I was going to say, AKA nail polish remover with carbonation. Listen, it's one of those like, I'm, I'm here for a good time, not for a long time. Like, let's just get down to business type of drinks. Yeah. Just get it over with. <laughs> let's just- Rip the bandaid off. <laughs> let's just get drunk. <laughs> I don't want a lot of calories, but I want to get drunk. Let's have some vodka. Calories. Um, my, I have an aunt who drinks uh, Diet Coke and vodka, and she calls it a Gross. she calls it a skinny bitch because nice. it's like no calories. Yeah. Um, but it is disgusting. That's funny. It's a thousand percent disgusting. Yeah. Um, how you doing? How you holding so up safe. in all this madness, Em? I'm good. I'm good. I wish the sun would come out. Yeah. It's raining here. Which is almost I mean, like, as traumatizing to Californians as the global pandemic that's happening around us. Right. I don't know what's worse, honestly. No. Like, I really enjoyed the rain. I love the rain. And today, the, today the rain was good. And at the very beginning of this whole week and a half it was like right when all the the madness started happening is it would it was raining here and then it kind of stopped and it was just kind of gloomy for a long time and that was just sad well, and then today it's it was starting raining again welcome to the first 18 years of my life it was just kind of gloomy yeah. and sad um that's the weather or just your heart well it was my heart because of the weather Got it. And then I came to California and I was like, what? People get to feel like this all the, the time? Sun? Good Lord. Vitamin D is a thing. Honestly. We, my parents rented out one of their rooms in our house for a while to um, one of my acquaintances, boyfriends. Anyways, this guy from Portland. He had never lived anywhere other than Portland. And when he came down here... He just, like, wasn't feeling great. Mm. And so his doctor told him that he had a vitamin D deficiency and he had to go sit in the sun for a while every day. It's like he was a legit thing. Prescribed to tan. At first, I thought you were talking about Jace. And I was like, why aren't you telling me his name? Because he. <laughs> That's right. I forgot that Jace rented a room for my and parents. Also, too. My parents have rented rooms to a lot of people. And he's also. Just like friends. He's also from Portland, from Portland. And so I was like, why are you not telling me his name? Um, this, guy this guy that I knew. You wouldn't know him. Someone. Yeah. No, you wouldn't know him. It's not like you went to school with him <laughs> for your whole it's life. It's not like he's my oldest friend. Um, but it's true. Right. That vitamin D deficiency will get you. Um, so get some sunshine while you can. Even while we're in quarantine, go for walks. Get some sunshine while it's out and wash your hands um, and yeah. stop going out, you idiots. I I really hope that by the time this comes out, everyone's like... Why are they still talking my about gosh. this? This was so last year. My gosh. We can all, you know, from your lips to God's probably ears. probably not the case. So from yeah. your lips to God's ears. Well, I think I've earned the yeah. right to go first in this um, podcast today yeah, because I guess so. last episode, it happened. We had the same. It, it happened, you guys. We had the same true crime this story. What should we do to celebrate? Um, how about we buy each other around when we can go back out to restaurants? 
Yeah, that's... Or, <laughs> okay, Emily clearly hates that idea. It's kind of boring. Let's do something crazy. Like what? Like I'll, I'll think of something. We'll take, we'll, take it to, we'll take it to Instagram. We'll take it to the fans. Per- what do you guys think we should Perfect. do in celebration? I like it. As long as it's not like get tattoos of each other's faces on our butts or something like that. Hey, if it's on my butt, that's fine. I'll do it. <laughs> um, as long as it doesn't show when I'm wearing a bathing suit, which I do wear... A full wetsuit, so really anything. <laughs> I recently started a new job, and it's funny because, like, when I'm wearing long sleeves, you can't see any of my tattoos, and I feel like, good job, Sarah, in choosing your placement yeah. of everything. Like, if need be, I can pretend that I have no tattoos. I mean, like, me too, but I've got to be wearing, like, a dark long sleeve. That's true. If I wear if I wear a white long sleeve shirt, which I'm not right now, I'm showing you. You're as sh- if I you're was, showing me the black sweater you're wearing. Yeah, yeah, you can see my tattoo through a white a white shirt. Which that's true. Don't care. Don't care. Um, we should also mention that this is lightweight true crime. Yes, yeah, a podcast where two girls share a drink and a story. That's us. Okay, it was fun. And last episode, we really did share one story. We super shared it. We came. We also shared one drink out of one cup. <laughs> Just kidding. No, that'd be we're, very bad right now. We're recording this via FaceTime because we are socially um, responsible. Distanced. And distancing ourselves um, socially. Speaking of this podcast where we share drinks and stories, t- today uh-huh. I was having a socially distanced picnic um, with a couple of friends yeah. where like, we went outside and we took our own blankets and had our own meals and like stayed apart. And it was funny because this one of my friends goes, oh my gosh, I listened to your podcast. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so nice of you. Like da da da. And I started talking like it was lightweight true crime. She goes, no, no, the one where someone interviewed you about modesty. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh. like, oh, because I don't like tell people to listen to this podcast because I don't think there's anything more annoying than someone being like, listen to my podcast. Listen to my podcast. Like, if you like it, you'll listen to it. I'm not going to make you. Right. Um, right. So I tell my friend, I tell people like, oh yeah, I do a true crime slash we're funny podcast. But like, I tell people like, don't listen to it. Like, if, you don't have to listen to it. Because a lot of our friends don't like crime too. Right. And so they, they feel like, oh, I should support my friends. And it's like, no. Like Amber, like our friend Amber really hates crime. Um, but she really wants to support us, and I tell her, don't listen to it. And if you're listening to this right now, Amber, you're in big yeah, trouble. Yeah, you should stop. Like, Hillary, I'm like, you should 100% not listen to this podcast. Yeah. Um, but, no, it was just so funny. But then, like, Anne, Anne better be listening. Anne, yeah, you better, or else we're breaking up. Uh, yeah. Um, but it's just funny because I was like, then I had to describe, I was like, I had to explain that I had a, a, a true crime podcast. another podcast. I was like, whoops. That's not about modesty that's not the one i was interviewed about modesty i read this this thing today whatever i'll just tell you really fast i read this article about this guy who was like writing in defense of his fiance because she was at their apartment complex pool and people were complaining about her bathing suit which was a one piece but she's got a nice big butt Hmm. and so people were like She's being immodest. She needs to wear shorts. Like, she shouldn't be tempting boys. <laughs> and the fiancé was like, why is it my fiancé's responsibility to not tempt these boys? Spoiler, it's like, not. Right. Like, they should be responsible for that. And, like, everyone was like, a normal bathing suit would cover her whole butt. And she was like, no. She was like, I swear I cannot find bathing suits that cover my whole butt. And, like, I can't either. Like, none of my bathing suits cover my whole butt because it's just too big. No, like... Well, and, like... Not bragging or anything, (laughs) you know. Also, like, I'm really sorry, but that's rape culture. Like, that, it's not very... Amen. Like, the idea that you can be responsible for another person's choices about your body is just patently false. Right. And, like, it had a picture of her in her bathing suit, and it was very modest it was a one piece also you know what put that time and energy towards something that matters like interesting you're worried about this person in your apartment complex's swimsuit i'm sure there are people who are hungry in your neighborhood rechannel that energy ma'am right but there are people who are hungry in your apartment complex even 100 percent, because they're everywhere it's true it's true Ugh. anyway anyways let's so anyway this is our podcast (laughs) 
where we bitch about things. Where we bitch about things and then we talk about crime. Um, okay. The one thing that makes us feel safe and comfortable. And better. Um, crime. I have, Go ahead. I have to think. I watched a 2020 episode about this case. Okay, good. We, we don't have the same story. Oh, I don't whew. think there's a 2020 on mine. All right, good. Obviously, I borrowed from our good friend Wikipedia, the New Hampshire Union Leader, which is a newspaper, as well as ABC News. Cool. And I'm almost positive you know this case. Uh, I'd be very surprised if you don't. But this is the story of the Bear Brook murders. You'll, it sounds familiar. You'll, you'll know it as I get started. Okay, okay. Okay. So, on November 10th, 1985, a hunter found a 55-gallon metal drum yep. Yep, okay. in the woods of Bear Brook State Park in Allenstown, New Hampshire. Also... Because this is the one that um, Billy Jensen covered, my, right? My po- or is covering. My podcast boyfriend, Billy Jensen? Yes. Yep. And also um, on Hulu, there's the 2020 about it, and it's great. Ooh, it's very, yeah. very good. Okay. So inside this metal um, drum are the bodies of an adult female and a young girl wrapped in plastic. Autopsies determined that both had died of blunt force trauma, um, as well as established that the adult woman was between the ages of 23 and 33, and the little girl was between the ages of 5 and 11. While the case initially shocked the small, quiet community of Allenstown, substantial progress was never made on the case, as they had very little to go off of, and it eventually went cold. Then, on May 9th, 2000, so like 15 years later, a New Hampshire detective who had recently been assigned the cold case of the two women in the barrel decided that he needed to walk the grounds where the remains were found to like get a better idea of, like, okay, how did this start? And in doing so, he uncovered another metal 55-gallon drum. That was a detail. I know a lot about this case, but I didn't know that until I watched the 2020. Yeah. I didn't know that they were found separate. They were found 15 years apart. And just the fact that he Dang. was like, I've been assigned this case. I need to walk the grounds. And like, he's the one. And then, oh, here's a big thing. Ugh. Like, how did that not? It's, okay. well, this is like 10,000. This is like 10,000 acres of like wilderness. Like, I. Right. But like, you'd think that they were able to like, oh, here's a 50 gallon. That's true. Barrel. But I don't know. Let's. I don't know if it had been there since. That's true. I, and I don't know. I, I could be wrong on that. Uh, yeah. But. Okay. So in that gal- 55-gallon drum was the remains of two young girls. Um, so now we're up to four victims. Autopsies later determined that the cause of death for these children was also blunt force trauma, and one of them was between the ages of two and four, and the other between one and three. So, like, very young. So authorities publicized the case in the U.S., um, like all across the country, but despite hundreds of leads, they could not identify the victims, and it's almost impossible to solve a murder if you don't know who was murdered. Right. So cut to June of 2002, when a woman named Yoon-sun Joon vanishes in Southern California. Her friends had been calling her house for months, asking to speak with her, only to have her partner, a man named Larry Vanner, give them excuses on excuses about why she couldn't or didn't want to talk to them. Eventually, her friends are like, no, we don't believe anything this guy is saying. Yeah. And they, they go to the police and they report her missing. So Yoon Soon's common-law husband, Larry, is brought in for questioning by the police. And when he's asked to give his fingerprints, he's like, sure, okay, that's fine. So the police are, like, asking him about the, like, the whereabouts of his common-law wife. He's being, like, weird and just, like, not giving any straight answers. And when his fingerprints come back, they come back as belonging to a man named Curtis Kimball. And the reason that they have his prints on record are because he is wanted for violating his parole in a case, um, in a case of child abandonment. So he's arrested for violating his parole. So, okay, well, what's the deal with this child abandonment case? Well, in January of 1986, the man who is in their squad room, right, or in their interrogation room right now, who says he's Larry Vanner, um, was going by the name of Gordon Jensen. 
and he was living in a Santa Cruz County um, RV park and working as a handyman in that RV park. Living with him was his five-year-old daughter, Lisa. So this guy who's going by Gordon tells his neighbors that he's having a hard time, like providing for her. Um, you know, he's having a hard time being a single dad. He tells all these weird stories about like what happened to her mom and his neighbors like take an interest in Lisa. And they say that their daughter lives in Southern California and actually has been like looking into adoption and like maybe she would adopt Lisa and like give her a better life. So, which is so weird. It's like very bizarre. Just, yeah. But like, it's the eighties. I don't know. Like, yeah. And like, maybe if they didn't see anything wrong with this guy, maybe they were like, this is our chance to like do something good. I don't know. Yeah. It feels weird in a lot of ways, but yeah. Um, so they take her on a two week trial run to Southern California to meet their daughter, to live with her. Um, but when that goes well, they have, and they go to have Gordon Jensen sign the adoption papers. He is nowhere to be found. So Lisa is placed into foster care and a warrant is issued for Gordon Jensen's arrest for child abandonment. Um, and it's only then that the authorities learn that the man going by Gordon Jensen had been previously arrested under the name of Curtis Kimball, right? Which is like what the Prince came back mm-hmm. to. And eventually he's found in 1990 and he spends a year and a half in jail for child desertion and after which he's paroled, but he disappears after he's paroled, which you can't disappear when you're on parole. Like you have to check in with your parole officer, like blah, blah, blah. So that's what they arrest him for, for violating that parole. Yeah. Okay. So back to 2002 um, and his common law wife is missing. So police search his home. And they find his common-law wife's body under a large pile of kitty litter in his garage. I keep forgetting all of these things. It's It's crazy because kitty litter absorbs odor, right? Yeah. And, like, it's not hard. I mean, it doesn't absorb my cat's odor, (laughs) but apparently it absorbs human odor. It was, like, pounds and pounds and pounds of kitty litter. Yeah. That's got to be so expensive and insane. Also, yeah. also is smart, but insane. Yeah. So he's formally charged with the murder of Yoon Soon Jun. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that incorrectly. Um, so he very like quickly agrees to enter a guilty plea, which feels really strange to investigators. They're like, yeah. there's something not right here. Like why? Yeah. Right. So what are we missing? Right. So they're like, is he hiding something? Like, what doesn't he want us to like look into? So obviously they know about the daughter he abandoned. So they're like, interesting. We're going to order a paternity test to make sure that like this is all on the up and up. So when the results come back, they show that Lisa, the five-year-old who was, who he abandoned in 1986 is not his biological daughter. Yeah. So Lisa's case is reopened in the hopes of finding out who is she, right? And she's like, she's like in her twenties by this time where they're like, Hey, we know you have a really messed up past as it is, but like also, but also we have no idea. The dad who left you isn't your dad. So, and we don't know how he got you. Yeah. So while this, (sighs) while this guy is in prison, Larry Vanner, Gordon Jensen, Curtis Kimball, same dude. Um, Who, by the way, his real name, his given name is determined to be Terry Rasmussen. Um, He dies in prison from lung cancer, which means no more answers or hopes of answers from him. This is like 2010, 2012. Yeah. Yeah. So... And, like, they're still, like, trying to figure out who Lisa is. Um, And we've still got in the background this uh, women in the barrels case. Yeah. So in 2014. I was going to say, how does this connect to the barrels? Oh, girl, I'll tell you. So in 2014, police take advantage of the advances made in DNA profiling. And they learn that the woman found in the barrel, the oldest child, Cause, so it's a woman and three children, right? So the woman, the oldest child, and the youngest child that were found in the barrels in Allenstown are maternally related. 
And then in 2015, they're able to like narrow that down even farther um, and determine that the woman is the mother of those two girls. So they, they're able, that's good. Like that, you know, they kind yeah. of assumed, but it's good to have it like nailed down, but it also leaves the middle child. The one, yeah. Who is like in no way related to, related. to the others. So 2016 comes around and with the growing popularity of DNA tests for like the con- average consumer, Lisa, the little girl who had been abandoned at the RV park submits her DNA to ancestry.com. Like, and she's working with the police because they're still yeah. trying to like figure out who she is. So she submits her DNA to ancestry and with the help of genetic genealogists discover for, and it takes like years, right? Yeah. Her true identity they discover that she is a missing little girl named Dawn Bodine. So relative, so they get in touch with these relatives and relatives tell investigators that Lisa's mother, Denise Bodine moved away from Manchester, New Hampshire. What? In 1981 with her six month old daughter, Dawn and her boyfriend, her new boyfriend, a man named Bob Mm -hmm. Evans. And they were never heard from again. They would determine that Bob Evans would turn out to be another alias for Larry Vanner, a.k.a. Terry Rasmussen. Terry Rasmussen. So investigators, like, their next thought is totally, like, what anyone would think. Okay, so Denise Bodine, is that the woman in the barrel? Yeah. And so they have to, so the, the girls found in the New Hampshire barrels, barrels, like the community rallied around them and they were buried in Allenstown, New Hampshire. Right. Yeah. So in order to figure out like, okay, is Denise Boudin, the woman in the barrel, they have to exhume the victims. They exhume all of them and they test their DNA against Lisa's, right. Or they test the, yeah. at least the grown woman's DNA against Lisa's. And the results come back that Denise is not the grown woman in the barrel, Dang. which is crazy town. Right. Um, to this day, Denise Bodine's remains have never been found. <sighs> although she is presumed to have been murdered by Terry. Rasmussen. Yeah. So, but now that they've exhumed the victims, they test Terry Rasmussen, Larry, Bob Curtis, whoever you want to call him. They test his DNA against all the victims that were in the barrels. And they are shocked when it turns out that he is the father of the middle girl that they found in 2000. Yeah. The one who's not related to the other three. Yeah. Is his kid. Which, so many questions because it's like, so why did you keep Lisa who wasn't your kid? Right. When you couldn't even keep your own kid. Like, Granted, none of what this man does is logical, but I'm thinking like right. you'd kill a kid that wasn't yours and you'd keep the one that was, you know, like, like purely devil's advocate. Maybe he didn't kill his kid. Maybe somebody else killed his kid and he was like, fine, I'm just going to replace my kid with this other kid. I'm going to take someone else's kid. I mean, but that's possible, but doesn't seem very likely, seem likely. For who this guy is. So crazy, right? But at least like it gives them some more information. Um, yeah. So with that connection, authorities officially identify like the now deceased Terry Rasmussen as the killer of the victims in the barrels. It's like, okay, one of them is his kid. One of them are the family member or yeah. One of them is his kid. Like, and he disappeared from yeah. New Hampshire with like these people. Like this is the dude. Yeah. It's gotta be. Yeah. So, they know who killed them, but they still don't know the identities know. of those. Well, of any of them, really. Of any of them, yeah, because they don't know who the mom is. Right. They know they, and they don't know the. Even though they know one of them yeah. is his kid, they don't know the name. They don't know where her mom is, and they don't know yeah. these other three like who they are. Yeah. So, internet detectives are fascinated by this case, and in particular, a librarian um, named Becky Heath, who. Every day when she comes home from work, she searches message boards, trying to find someone looking for a woman and her two missing children, thinking like you can't just disappear out of thin air, like a mom and two kids, like without anybody looking for you. Right. So she comes across messages from family members looking for a missing woman and her kids that fit the timeline and like general description 
um, and like location of the girls in the barrels. Right. So yeah. Becky reaches out to one of the people who had been posting and asks like, okay, like when did you last see like these people that you were looking for? So they're having this conversation and the family member says, yeah, like right before she disappeared, she has started dating this guy named Terry Rasmussen. No. And it's like this librarian who has nothing to do with this investigation. Yeah. Comes across this piece of information. Oh my gosh. So in two, what are the odds? Right. So in 2019, authorities announced at a news conference that three of the bodies found in the barrels in New Hampshire have been identified as Marlise Honeychurch and her two children, Marie Vaughn and Sarah McWaters. Now, Marlise Honeychurch was last seen around Thanksgiving of 1978 in La Puente, California, with her new boyfriend, Terry Rasmussen. So they went from California to New Hampshire? They must have. Yeah. That's so crazy. So we know the identities of the three women found in the barrels, Marlise, Marie, and Sarah. Um, And we know who killed them, Terry Rasmussen. We know Lisa's identity, that she's actually like Don Bodine. But the middle child found in Bear Brook State Park has never been identified. The one that all we know is that Terry Rasmussen is her father. And just last month, um, in February of 2020, a new sketch of the girl was released by the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children um, in partnership with the New Hampshire authorities. And they're hoping that that sketch will jog someone's memory and help them identify um, that little girl and help uh, bring peace to family members who are surely wondering about her. And that is the story of the Bear Brook murders. Dang. It's a doozy. That's so crazy. I know there's so many different pieces to it that, like, I often forget that it's all the same story. Like, I'll remember, like, oh, yeah, like, the woman who was killed and then buried in cat litter. Or, like, oh, yeah, that girl who, like, was kidnapped and then left with someone else and ended up being somebody else's kid and then the women in the barrels and then i'm like oh my gosh i forget that they're all all connected to this nutso guy and who has the most villainous name terry rasmussen just sounds like a villain it, it does and honestly like the 2020 episode does such a brilliant job of like weaving together all and obviously there's a lot that i had to leave out but um yeah it, they do just like a really brilliant job of weaving in all those pieces oh sorry yawn um I'm tired alki um I know, seriously. Uh, yeah, but that will, like, and I remember, like, so I read Billy Jensen's book, Chase Darkness, with me, and, it, and when that was released, like, they didn't, they still didn't know who any of them were. Yeah. And, like, he is, ever since I've been listening to The Murder Squad, like, Billy Jensen has talked about this, and so it, to, like, watch it unfold in real time, like, obviously, I haven't been following it since 1985, but, um, yeah, but, um, like, even in the 2020 yeah you just have to watch the 2020 it's, there's so yeah. much good stuff I, there i need to watch that yeah because that's nuts all right all and right. tell me you're not going to tell me that same story because we can't do that i'm shit again. not i'm not i i'm gonna tell you another story please um and i'm gonna it's mine is also kind of a weird weavy story but it does not have as many pieces okay, okay so we start In 2014, an investigator that is covering a cold case um, of a missing girl from 1976 asks the victim's mother and sister for DNA samples to try and compare them to some, like, Jane Doe's that they have in the area. Um, Because it's been 40-ish years. They're trying to find justice. Um, So they give the dna and the the dna ends up being a match for some rib bones that were located in san bernardino um that had been found um at a cabin in twin peaks in 1977 so the rib bone the rib bones um the way that they were found was that um in december of 1977 um, two girls went to the police and reported that they had been kidnapped, raped, and tortured over the course of a few days. So the police are immediately like, let's get on this. 
So what happened was that the two girls were on their way to a party. It was Christmas break. Um, They were, I think they were in high school. They were like 17 or 18 um, when a Trans Am drove up to them and offered them a ride. Um, They said that the three guys in the car looked like they were their age and kind of knew what sounded like they knew what party they were going to. So they were like, okay, we'll just, so we don't have to walk. We'll just drive with them. But instead of going to the party, the man driving drove them to a cabin about 60 minutes away in Twin Peaks. Um, And there, the three men tied them up and raped them over the course of a day and a half. Horrifying. I know. And then the girls, um, they keep eavesdropping because the cabin isn't very big. Um, So they hear... The man who is, like, the ringleader, the one who's, like, calling all the shots, he hears them tell the other two men, okay, it's time we kill the girls because we can't have any witnesses to this. And the other two guys are like, we don't want to do that. Um, we're not, we're not going to kill these girls. That wasn't part of the plan. Um, and so the, the man who's the ringleader, he goes outside for a while and he comes back with these bones. And he says, look, I killed... I killed a Mexican girl before. I can kill these girls. We're gonna do it. We're gonna do it again, and it's gonna be fine. And the two guys are kind of freaking out, and so they're trying to think of a way to like get out of it while they're still kind of going along with it. So they go outside and they start digging holes, and one of the guys comes up with this plan to come back in and tell the ringleader that a hunter just came by and saw them digging the holes. I'm. My throat is really dry. Hold Pause on. Pause for, in- for liquid intake. Um, every time I, like, choke or something and I cough, I always, like, have to announce around me, like, I choked, <laughs> I'm not coughing, I'm not sick, I just choked. That's so true. I know. For real. Um, like, when I'm, like, on a walk and there's other people around, I'm like, don't worry, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. Yeah. Anyways. So the two men come back in and tell the ringleader, Hunter just saw us digging the hole. Like, we got a bail because if the hunter goes and reports it, the cops are going to come back looking. And if they see the girls here or they see that they're dead, like, we're going to be in trouble. So the man is like, okay, let's put them back in the car. So all five of them get back in the car. They're driving around the area. And finally, the girls convince them, like, hey, let us go and we're not going to report it. Like, we just want to go home. We don't care. Like, just let us go. So finally, they drop the girls off near one of their houses, and immediately they go to the cops. Of course, yeah. Which is, like, so awesome. I would be so scared. I'd be like, I told them we weren't going to go to the cops. Right. But, like, um, and the police really quickly, based on their descriptions, are able to identify the three men. Um, Larry Alred, John Wetterling, and James White. Um And so they go and they arrest those men. Um, And very quickly they realize that the leader is Larry Allred. Um, And so the girls tell the the cops like, hey, not only did they rape us, but he had these bones and he said that he's killed somebody before. Um, So the cops are like, that's sketchy. Let's go check it out. So they find um, Larry's cabin. Um, and they end up finding five rib bones under his front porch. Um, and they take the bones to a forensic anthropologist um, because this is 1977. There's no DNA. There's nothing. Um, so all the anthropologist is able to do is determine that it's from a young, um, a young girl who was a teenager or a young adult. Um, but nothing else. So they kept him in storage until 2014. Um, and at that point, they're able to figure out who the girl is. So, um, the, the bones belonged to a girl named Cynthia May Hernandez. Um, and in August 26th, 1976, the 18-year-old went to go see the Omen by herself because her boyfriend canceled, um, because he got sick. Um, and her mother, Gloria, called police the next day. When she woke up for work and Cynthia was at home. The police were able to locate Cynthia's car backed into the farthest spot away from the movie theater. Which um, Cynthia's parents had said like she would never back her car in. She hated going in, in reverse. Mm. There's no way she did this. 
Um, and there were no backup cams then, so there's no way she would have been able to even back into that I don't spot. know like, that I've ever backed into a parking spot. So if you ever find my yeah. car and I'm backed into anywhere, I'm it was for sure not me. Perfect. I rarely back in, and I only feel comfortable doing that because I have a backup cam. Right, right. Um, and then the police also think it's sketchy because she was in the farthest spot from the theater, mm-hmm. but the theater was only half full. Yeah. So... There's no way that she would have to park that far. Um, So they question the boyfriend. They question other sex offenders in the area. But ultimately, they they have no leads until about 40 years later um, when they get the match. And so once they get the match, um, Gloria is able to finally give Cynthia Mm. a proper, proper burial. Um, And this whole time, you know, she Gloria had been telling the police like, all I want to do is bury my daughter. I don't care about what happened to her or who did it. Like, I just want her to be home safe with me. But then the second she was able to bury her, she was like, okay, I feel at peace. Now let's go get this <laughs> yeah, guy. Totally. <clears throat> so um, her and the investigator, when he first got the cold case, they got really close because, you know, they have, have been working together for a long time. So for the cold case inve- investigator, it felt really personal. So when Gloria went to him and said, like, all right, let's get my daughter justice now, he was like, yes, let's. So when they were finally able to match the bones to Cynthia in 2014, um, Larry Allred had already spent his time in jail for the rape and kidnapping because it was the 70s, so he probably got, like, a year. (laughs) Pause for drink intake. Um, I know. Sorry, I'm talking so fast. It's all right. Um, um, I don't know how long he actually spent in jail for that, but in, so in 2014, when they went to go find him, he was in jail again, this time because he was illegally producing and selling fake Disneyland pins. <laughs> no. Yes. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Which, right. Wow. Which is nuts. I told Ryan that and he was like, that's a punishable crime. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it's Disneyland. For a murderer. Um, right. So they went and they went and visited him in jail and they told him, hey, we're just doing research on like previous sex offenders, um, you know, trying to get information about how they committed their crimes. And he's like, cool. Yeah, I'll participate. Oh, my gosh. Knowing that he's already been convicted of and spent his time for the kidnapping and rape of these two girls in 77 so he just shares about that super openly he's really eager to help them um and then they pull out a photo of cynthia and they're like what about this girl like her bones were found on your property and he was super like oh i just found those bones i don't know i don't know anything um And so they try and question him for a long time. He's super adamant about he didn't do it, denies any involvement, that he didn't even know her, um, until finally one of the the people who are interrogating him was like, I have an idea. Um, We know from some letters that he's written to family members that he feels really guilty um, knowing that, like, his mom, after his mom had passed... He felt guilty of, like, thinking about what would she think of my life. Hmm. So he's always telling his siblings, like, mom would be so disappointed in me. Or, like, I'm so glad she didn't have to see me in jail. So they're like, okay. So he cares about his family. Let's use that. So they have his siblings record a message to him saying, like, just tell them the truth. Like, tell him everything like we don't want you to keep lying or whatever but it's it's not until larry hears his brother break down crying in the recording and just pleading with him like just tell them that he's finally like okay i'll tell you so he admits that on the night um of august 26th 1976 he's driving around um in glendora when he sees sees cynthia driving Um, And so he starts to follow her and she pulls into the parking lot for the movie theater, which happens to be one of his hunting grounds. I didn't realize this was in Glendora. That's really not that far from us. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. Um, 
Which, I mean, like, the cabin in Twin Peaks is in, like, San Bernardino County, which is Yikes. where our good friend Elias yeah. lives. Um, so he tells them the whole story. He says that um, he parked near her, um, and when, he, when she got out of the car, he followed her, he confronted her, he had a knife, and he threatened her. Um, he finally got her into his car, Um, but when he set his knife down to tie her hands, she grabbed the knife and they fought for a while. Um, he, and he, when he got the knife back, he stabbed her. Mm -hmm. Um, and so he admitted that he moved her car. He said he doesn't know why, but he just felt like he should move her car. So he moved it to that spot where he backed it into the farthest spot away, um, and drove her to his cabin where he buried her, um, and, when he finally admitted everything, they brought him back to the cabin to have him show them where he buried her so that, that they could find the rest of his remains, mm. the rest of her remains. And so they walked around for about three hours until he finally came across this tree that had mistletoe tied into it. Um, and he just started crying and said, this is, this is where I buried her. Oh, my gosh. Um, and police, like, dug up, like, tons of area, like in on his property on the neighbor's property but they were never able to find any more of her remains Hmm. and that is wow the crazy disappearance of cynthia hernandez and the kidnap rape and rape of those two girls in 77 wow which i i their names weren't in any of the articles that i read so i didn't dig any farther because if they didn't want their names right right well, it sounds like, I mean, the story of badassery in the face of horror, like those two girls right. who survived what they survived and went to the police and then Cynthia who like fought for her life. And yeah. Wow. And her mom, Gloria, yeah. who fought for her. Oh my gosh. For 40 years. Unbelievable. I know. I wonder if like I, animals got off, like ran off with like her bones that, or something. Yeah. They didn't. They didn't talk about theories. Yeah, but that—that's definitely a good theory. It's also been forty years, so like, right? Who knows where it could go? Yeah, you know. And I did read in an article that a hunter, a hunter's dog, found her skull, hmm. but then I couldn't find that anywhere else. Hmm. So I was like, maybe they got that story mixed up with another story or something. But and didn't you say the rib bones were under his porch? Yes. So what they think happened um, is that he went and dug them back up when he and those other two guys kidnapped the girls. Because hmm. I think he was trying to show the other guys, like, it's okay, I've killed somebody before. Yeah. We can kill these girls too. Um, I don't understand how, like... Cause it sounds like, right. He like displayed all this emotion in response to like his family and whatever. And it's like, how can that coexist in the body of a right. human like who has killed or, I mean, he didn't kill the other two girls, but yeah. like raped them, but was and like so ready to kill them too. Like, how can that coexist in the same person? I don't know. Wow. That's a really good story though. Cause like it's got every, like it's got layers. It's got so many got layers. layers. That's, that's when I was like, I I had to ask Ryan like, what order should I tell this in? Yeah, that's kind of what I felt with the with the Bear Brooks case because yeah. it's like, like this murder in California that like weirdly is connected to these barrels and but right. like how do you like? I had to like look at actual timelines and yeah, it's it's, it's so crazy complicated. Oh my gosh, I know. No, that's a good one. But yeah, wow, well done. Couple of doozies here today. Seriously. Um, I meant to look up a question. No, it's okay. I got one. I got one if you didn't. Cool. Um, I didn't. <laughs> uh, tell me, Emily, what is, as we, are, as we are recording this, the state of California is like shelter in place status. Um, yep. We got quarantine happening. We got the madness of this virus. All of our thoughts and prayers and love are with those like suffering. Um, but Emily, tell me what is an unexpected highlight of this change to your schedule or to your life or like something good you have seen come out of this? 
Um, I was just telling Ryan that one of the best things about this, about both of us working from home, is that Micah doesn't watch as much TV mm. as normal. Mm-hmm. Because normally I'm trying to entertain Micah and work at the same time. Yeah. So I'm r- really half-assing both things, which means TV time. Yeah. Um, but when Ryan's home we will switch off like, okay, you watch Micah for two hours yeah. while, while I work for two hours and we're able to like give a hundred percent to whatever we're doing. So like I'll be able to 100% just play with Micah for two hours yeah. and then 100% work for two hours, which is, I just spend better time with Micah and then do better work because I'm not trying to yeah. do it halfway. So that's, that's been a great a great thing is that both of us are home so we're both able to give a hundred percent to whatever we're doing which i think has been that's huge great yeah yeah definitely what about what about you um i think that like and i don't know that this is so like so specific to me but just like something i've been thinking about about our like communal experience um is that like the recognition and the realization that like our lives all depend on each other, um, in, in ways that like we don't normally slow down to think about, like in such an individualistic society where we're like, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and like your success is yours alone. And like your failure is yours alone. Like to understand like, Oh my gosh, like my life is so inextricably tied to, I keep thinking about these like quote unquote, like low skill jobs right now where people who work at grocery stores or who clean airplanes or who, you know, like do all these things that we like don't pay well. We don't offer them. We don't offer like the people and are so high risk right now. Like the people who stock your grocery shelves at Walmart or like the people who work in like the Amazon, like packaging factory, all these jobs that are so high risk. I I hope like I keep thinking like I hope that this makes us realize just how intertwined we are and causes us to like value people that like so easily go devalued in our society. Yeah. Um, Like I even think about so much like hourly jobs that don't offer paid leave that we are literally like forcing people to choose between stay home because you're sick or or or. And like, don't try and earn money to pay your rent or feed your kid and yeah, expose your family to something potentially deadly. Right. So like, I, I just keep thinking, like, I hope this makes us realize like how much we belong to each other, um, and like take better care of each other in that way. Um, and like, I just, I'm, I'm very inspired by like all the creative ways that like people are finding to like feed people and care for people and like make sure people's needs are met during this time. Um, like, yeah. I know. Cause that was one thing when school started closing, I was like, so many parents have to work. Mm-hmm. They can't get childcare. So they're kindergartner is going to be stuck at home with no supervision for Mm -hmm. eight hours while they go to work and then so many other kids like they get their one meal at school for lunch and like this is just going like this is just going to be unsurmountable for some people not having school and then seeing like school districts be like okay I know we're closed but we're still going to give you lunch. So like you can come and you can pick up your lunch and you can leave. You can't eat it here because we're, you know, the whole point of school closing is that we're not coming in contact with people, but we we're still going to provide you the necessities that you need. And then that, that bill being passed of you can't get let go because you have to stay home with your kid um, is, was just really encouraging because I was like, I was like, I don't expect anything good to happen of this. This is just going to be terrible. And I'm such a pessimist. But I was also like, the state that our like nation is in right now, like, I just don't expect people to look out for right. the vulnerable. Right. Um, so seeing that happen so immediately of like, okay, schools are shutting down getting that announcement like at 5 p.m. on a Sunday night and then Monday seeing the announcement of like, but we're still providing you lunch Mm -hmm. was just so heartwarming to see like 
okay, like our nation, we can acknowledge that people are being more directly affected by some of these things than everyone else. And we need to come around them and we need to support them because they're people too. They're just like us. And they're just trying their best to make it. Um, Yeah. And like in moments like this, we all have so much more in common than we have then we differences. have differences different yeah oh man yeah. so please stay safe out there stay yeah, wash your hands stay like yeah I, I keep wanting to say like hug your loved ones but like don't do that yeah stay away from your loved ones send them texts call your grandparents mm-hmm. see if they need you to go do grocery shopping for them because they should not be out if you have at this time elderly neighbors check on them yeah like, offer to do, do you have stuff? friends with suppressed immune systems or even i read today asthma mm-hmm. asthma is a pre-existing condition that is very detrimental to i mean obviously like i should have thought of it it's a like breathing lung respiratory issue yeah. so check on your friends who have asthma make sure they have hand sanitizer and have somebody to get their groceries for them People who are like single people who live alone like check on them make sure like donate to your local food bank um check on moms in your lives like diapers and wipes are in like scarce supply yeah formula formula i thought of this the other day someone was telling me they couldn't find formula and i was like yeah formula yeah yeah we have to be in this together it's the only way we're gonna get out of it is together um as per usual, like, thank you for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, yes. and subscribe um, to us wherever you find check your podcasts. Out. Yeah. Check us out on Instagram. Send us an email. Our Instagram is lightweight true crime. Our email is lwtruecrime at gmail.com. We love you. Um, Stay safe out yeah. there. Cheers. Cheers. Record, record. All right. Record. Um, Should we just jump right on in? I just want to sing Lizzo every time I'm open GarageBand because I want to be like, fuck it up to the tempo. Okay, anyway. Um, okay, yes, you let's do it.